Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. Today, we'll be doing a health IT regulatory roundup with some of the biggest headlines coming in the world of regulations. And be sure to follow the show on social media at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechEye and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 17 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Did you ever think you'd be a policy geek when you grew up, Colin, or is that... <laughs> Absolutely not. And even worse, I and never thought I would not. actually, I, 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 well, that, but also, I, I never thought I would actually get excited over it. Like it's one thing to cover it and talk about it, but I'm actually excited about some of these regulations and some of the changes that are coming through. So it's pretty crazy. Well, I think the crazy part is that, you know, this came out and a bunch of them came out and it wasn't even Friday. So they weren't even trying to hide it because it actually was a good news. So I think that's, yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, they've been working in DC on a lot of interesting regulations. So I think this is going to be a really exciting episode. Yes. Well, more for you than for me. I mean, you're, you've always been the policy geek, but, uh, but yes, <laughs> let's, let's dive right into some of these very, very interesting headlines. The, the first being, of course, John, it just came out that Hefka will now include fire uh, in 2024. So there's provisions now to say that the fire APIs uh, and uh, are going to be there. Yeah, what are your so thoughts on that? Yeah, ONC came out and said that the common agreement version 2.0, which by the way, 1.1 is was just released, <laughs> that they're actively working on the, the uh, common agreement version 2.0 with a publication goal of no later than the end of spring 2024. So it's actually pretty fast for, for regulation. But they said their plan is that this version will include participation uh, with HL7's FIRE transactions. So within 2024, QHINs and Tefka could include FIRE. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the biggest complaints I heard about QHINs was that it didn't include FIRE. Many people, not the least of which was Don Rucker, former ONC <laughs> national coordinator, uh, among many others, said this feels like a step backwards for us to do QHINs and, and do CCDAs. And, you know, why are we doing that? We should be moving forward towards FIRE. So I guess this is ONC's response to that is, uh, yeah, we're going to. And they accelerated that, which, you know, you know, credit to Don for <laughs> propon you know, being a proponent of that. And I think that always was the vision. You know, of course, the devil's in the details. What does that mean? What is, you know, is Fiery ready for it? Which I think is why it wasn't included initially. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. But, you know, overall, I know a lot of the startup companies, for example, at Health that we were at, uh, when you talk to them, a lot of them talk about Fire and using Fire and, you know, being Fire enabled and all those types of things. So, in that regard, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. The devil will be in the details. Uh, this is encouraging, right? I mean, we've heard it from quite a number of the people that we talked to at the various conferences. There's like, all of us were scratching our heads going, why not fire, right? Why not, why not go there? Um, you know, we don't know the exact timing and what, you know, what parts of fire, right? Because you're right, there are parts of fire that maybe uh, aren't, uh, ready uh, or aren't ex accepted. That's why maybe they went with C CDA at the start. But 
I think overall people, this one was one of those announcements where I think it was sort of a non-announcement. It's like, oh yeah, we were all kind of expecting this maybe a little bit sooner now um, yeah. with all the pressure that was coming, but, but I think we all figured it was going to come sooner or later. Yeah. I think that's the bigger announcement is how quickly they're incorporating it. So, you know, I think that's where we'll see some interesting change. You know, I was uh, talking with uh, Mario Highland, uh, interop guy on Twitter that uh, we know, uh, and he's actually uh, announcing a, a connect-a-thon with, that they're doing that's actually interestingly focused on the, the practical use of fire, which, inter- you know, HL7's done lots of connect-a-thons. Other ones have done connect-a-thons. Uh, but many of those are saying, what's next? What's the next version of fire? And so he's he's addressing a different thing, opportunity, which is, okay, what about the standards we actually can use today as a developer? And can we do a connect-a-thon around those standards? It'll be interesting to see how that plays with this uh, incorporation with QHINs and how that plays out. Uh, but, you know, it was interesting that he saw this problem that, Hey, well, you know, in the standards community, we always want the next standard, right? And we want to expand the next one. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how that plays within the, uh, you know, the interoperability community. Is that something that's needed? Because it makes sense if you're a vendor, health IT vendor that says, okay, I want to go to a, learn about fire and how I can incorporate it. And you go to a connectathon by HL7 or whoever that's saying, what's the next standard rather than what can I do today? That That is a bit of a disconnect. Uh, so, you know, obviously, that plays out into the question of can fire be implemented is it ready you know and, and i think you know connectathons like that are are really interesting to do that and you know if it's going to be incorporated in the qhins it's going to have to be have some sort of maturity or it won't really fly you think any of the qhins are going to struggle with this or, or do you think they were kind of like you know hey this was we knew it was coming we're ready for it yeah, I think it was Health Gorilla that I was talking to, and don't quote me, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I think it was them. They were like, well, on our back end, we're already using fire. So whether we're using fryer on the other end, he said, we're using fire. So I think a lot of them already have some sort of fire capability built in for, you know, as, you know, so I don't really see it as a problem, you know, that they're doing a lot of fire stuff for whatever other service they were doing besides the QHIN. So I don't think that would be a problem. Maybe there's some edge cases that, that you know, will be challenging for them. But actually, you know, it, I, I've talked to some of the QHINs that even just something like high trust was a challenge for them because they hadn't done it. And that's quite a heavy lift to go and be high trust certified. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of nuance there, but yeah, I don't, I don't think fire will be a problem for most QHINs. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move from fire to talking about something uh, a little more interesting, um, a little unexpected, actually, I thought, <laughs> but that is the uh, new, uh, the new regulation or the new uh, policy guidance around uh, telehealth doctors do not have to give their home address as their practice location anymore. Let's start with the idea that they were going to have doctors do that. Like how absurd is that? Right. Especially when you look at our fourth topic for today, right. It's about the Facebook pixel tracking and privacy and all this. And they're like, wait, who had the idea that like, we need to have the doctor's home address because the doctor just happens to be doing the telehealth visit from home. Like, you know, the obvious concern by doctors is, especially with the the way many doctors are being treated, you know, we've seen the, especially in the ER, you know, a lot of uh, mistreatment of doctors and aggression. I, I think we even had a shooting, if I remember right, of, of someone in the hospital, right? And so like, 
wait, why would I want to give out my home address for someone to do this? So, you know, credit to ATA and ATA Action, you know, some of the, the, the American Telehealth Association, Telemedicine Association, you know, for pushing this forward and saying, that's ridiculous. The interesting part is that uh, they only have it right now until the end of 2024. So we may have to revisit it again uh, unless some other policy comes up between now and then. But uh, yeah, so but at least for now, the Medicare providers that are doing uh, telehealth, telemedicine, they don't have to publicly report their home address as their practice location, which seems like common sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is an also falls in the category of we all figured this was coming, but we just didn't know when. Um, but we, yeah, I think the, the bigger story was the way it, what the way it had been worded, which was around, hey, like you have to, you know, you have to disclose your home address. So uh, the follow-on implication of some of that, you know, you or at least I heard some of the docs um, at at MGMA and a few others talking about people were going to literally stop doing it. Right, because if if given the choice of disclosing their home address or providing telehealth, unfortunately, they said we're not going to do it. There's too much risk of providing my home address uh, that you know they simply were not going to offer that service uh, anymore, and so they didn't have to disclose, which is kind of sort of so counter to the whole improving of access, which is what this was meant to do. Anyway, it's it's one of those ones where yes, finally someone woke up and said this is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's use some common sense here and. And you don't have to use your your home address. You can use your practice. Isn't that the annoying part of telehealth, though? There's so many things that seem like common sense that they haven't done. You know, for example, the fact that a doctor has to be, you know, certified as a doctor, uh, you know, accredited as a doctor in every state uh, by the state boards. You know, like we need medical licensure to to be national because it just makes sense, right? Like, again, you know, but again, it makes sense, but it's not the reality today. And I'll, we know why we've talked about this before, you know, but there's a bunch of things like even reimbursement for it, <laughs> other things like that, that, you know, and so this was just another example of where people don't understand telehealth. It's still kind of, you know, the, the, the annoying stepsister or stepdaughter. I, I don't know. It's, it's a problem. Yeah, it's definitely a problem. Although I think, you know, the other ones you mentioned around licensure and so forth, there's dollars with that. And whenever you bring in dollars, it takes a lot longer to make a change, right? To the status quo. With this one, at least there were no dollars associated with it. And so yeah. it was just a quick little, well, not a quick little, but like a change that could be made and it didn't really affect anybody's pocketbooks, right? Uh, and it would, um, and, you know, we've already seen a decline in telehealth, um, you know, in terms of usage. I mean, people you know, have shown that they want to come back to the office and docs prefer to have people come back to the office. We've seen the cuts to the reimbursement, uh, you know, in terms of how much they make, how much they uh, get reimbursed for, for telehealth. And that's just led to a, maybe a right sizing is the right word of the amount of telehealth that's available and the amount of telehealth that's actually done. Um, yeah. So to cut it further arbitrarily with these kinds of rules would have been a bit of a blow to to not only that industry, but to people who rely on that form of access. Yeah, I saw an interesting discussion from, uh, I think it was Lyle Berkowitz from uh, KeyCare, if I remember right. He, he was starting the discussion. Obviously, they they have it built into Epic where they do telehealth in, in Epic. They bought an instance of Epic, and then they use Epic's sharing of the record so they get access to the record within Epic and can share that with the hospital health system that they're working with. Interesting model, obviously, and he's certainly biased to, to somewhat that model. But he asked a very important question, which is, who would you like to see you, your doctor, 
a doctor who has access to your records but knows how to do telehealth or a random doctor that doesn't have access to your record that's doing telehealth or you know you know go into the emergency room <laughs> there's some other options i think but you know it is interesting is telehealth becoming you know so unique that the doctor's skills you know that of someone who's doing all telehealth is actually more effective than say your own doctor who does it in between appointments or does it at the end of the day or whatever. It's an interesting question to think about because there are nuances to doing telehealth effectively. Uh, You know, obviously he's biased in that view, I think, because that's his product, but, but it is a good question to ask. It'll be interesting to see who's kind of come up with the first study, right? Like the uh, purpose, uh, 100% telehealth doc versus the one who does it part-time. Is there any difference in outcomes or effect or perceived effectiveness by the patients? It'll be, it'll be interesting. I'm sure someone's working on that. For sure. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Today, we're doing a roundup of the hottest regulatory news, which is a word I never thought I would say together. Today's episode is being brought to you by the Sway Health Live 2024 Conference. It's the annual gathering of healthcare marketers from all parts of the healthcare ecosystem, including uh, provider-based marketers as well as health IT marketers. It's happening May 6th to 9th, 2024 in Atlanta. We just made the big announcement. And you can go to Sway Health, that's Sway with two A's, dot health slash live for more information. Are you looking forward to that uh, conference, John? Yeah, well, I'm excited to go back to Atlanta. Atlanta is a definitely underrated city for fun, for good restaurants, for, you know, easy access, of course, that, that everyone knows. But yeah, and of course, I, I love bringing the community together. We, you know, the W Hotel has its own branding, which fits perfect for marketers. So it's going to be a great experience. That'll be a lot of fun. I haven't been back to Atlanta in a long time. So looking forward to that. And yes, I hear the food, uh, the food scene in Atlanta has gotten a lot better. So I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Always about the food, right? <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's all about the food. It's all about the food. <laughs> all right. So let's move into a couple of uh, regulatory areas that uh, now are, are getting a little more juicy. <laughs> uh, the first is the, uh, I guess, confirmation or uh, of the disincentives or penalties for information blocking. Um, sort yeah. of related to the to the um, to the other one we talked about off the top, but yeah, they um, they announced uh, those. Yeah, and it is a proposed rule, so but I think it's going to go quickly because from what I hear, it because there aren't the same financial issues as some other regulations, it can it can be processed pretty quickly, but uh, possibly by the end of the year. I think I read something, but anyway, I don't don't quote me on that. I'm 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 a policy geek uh, info, but. Uh... <laughs> But the, it did announce three interesting things. The quick summary is that if you are an information blocker, one, there's going to be a wall of shame for information blockers, similar to the HIPAA you know, security breach privacy, which I'm sure ONC loves that we call it the wall of shame, but hey, it, it's stuck. So you know, there will be a, a list of everyone that's information blocking. So that's the first problem. The, the other disincentives that are that they announced was that if you're part of the Medicare promoting interoperability program, then you're going to have penalties there or 
you know, they don't like to call it penalties. They call it disincentives. So you're going to be impacted in that promoter interoperability program. Also the MIPS one. And then also if you're doing the shared savings program, which is the ACO program, then you're going to not be allowed to participate for an entire year. So that's the easy one to understand. You know, the shared savings, you just can't be part of the shared savings program for a year if you're an information blocker. When it comes to promoting interoperability, they said that the, the proposed rule could result in a median disincentive amount of $394,353. Of course, that's the median, depending on how many practices you have, how many doctors there are, et cetera. But, you know, that's significant penalty. And then in the MIPS side of things, their estimates are that if it's an individual disincentive amount, could be a loss of $686 for an eligible clinician. So not nearly as much, but for an estimated median group of six clinicians, it's a loss of 4,116. And of course, they, they said the range is from 1,372 to 165,326 for groups from one to 241 physicians. So if you have quite a number of physicians, that, that number starts to add up and becomes a, a, a significant amount. And you combine the two, promoting interoperability and MIPS. And if you're a part of an ACO, that's a pretty significant financial uh disincentive to use their word i'd say penalty uh for information blocking so uh, yeah I, I don't think anyone wants to be on that list you know th 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 i guess that's the take that you know, they said penalties were coming that that uh financial incentives were coming to not information block and here they are yeah uh, and just to clarify yes hhs is uh, requesting public comment by january 2nd of 2024 so there is an opportunity to comment on these uh, penalty or sorry uh, disincentives uh, so uh, you can head on over to their website and and, and do that um, yeah I, I was actually surprised at the strength of the teeth they put in this because uh, these these um, penalties are quite significant you know the the one that stood out to me was the one you just mentioned the ACO where you know if you're found to be an information blocker you cannot promote you cannot participate in that program for up to a year um, that's significant <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it, on one hand, I, I'm encouraged. I, I actually like this uh, because now it, it'll force people to abandon what has been a very, very questionable practice for a long time, like to block the access that patients have to their own health information. Um, I do sympathize with with folks who maybe haven't implemented any technology to help them <laughs> with this, but at the same time, you know, I I don't think these penalties are too strong i think they're actually about right like you know you wanted to i wanted them to be significant enough where someone is just going to be like oh yeah you know what let's just finally get around to, to fixing my roi process let's finally get around to doing this because boy yeah let's avoid these penalties yeah i see this as onz said we want to use every lever possible to people to have people not information block because they shouldn't and they right. shouldn't have an excuse to information block, right? The other question I have, which I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is just essentially the ONC CMS uh, penalties. I think OIG could do some other penalties associated with it. So, you know, this might just be the beginning of some of the disincentives to do not information block. But, you know, what it tells me is that they're serious about not wanting people to information block and they, they don't expect excuses. I do wonder, will this cause some people to say, well, let's not participate in the promoting interoperability. Let's not do MIPS anymore. <laughs> let's not do ACOs because we don't want to deal with this. So, you know, that that is a risk that they're taking by using the penalties this way, the disincentives this way. 
but you know, I, I don't know that, that that that's an interesting thing. We we saw this in the meaningful use where many people said, "Fine, I'll just stop taking Medicare." <laughs> that's fine with me. And we, you know, there were some that did. They left Medicare and and said they they weren't going to take it anymore because they didn't want the penalties associated with uh, meaningful use. So, you know, will that happen with this program? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, it's interesting. You mentioned the OIG that was mentioned in the uh, press release that uh, HHS did. But the OIG civil penalties are separate and could be up as high as a million dollars per violation. Yeah. Um, you know, if if someone is found to to be information blocking, again, like the the one entity that I'm very interested in because I haven't heard of anybody, but it's the health IT developers of certified health IT. Um, I haven't heard of anyone on the health IT side who's an active information blocker, but but boy, at a million dollars per penalty uh, per, per violation, I think a lot of them are going to be reviewing their uh, access and their uh, their access to data um, uh, processes. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, we, we knew stuff like this was coming. And, and so anyone that didn't think information blocking was going to be a challenge for them and something they needed to address, you know, is certainly woken up now. But now there's the irony, right? So we just talk about them wanting to share information and not block information. Well, the, the other big news that came out, which ironically is kind of more a Sway Health story <laughs> for, for our Sway.Health community, but uh, you know, HHS is now being sued by the AHA and some other parties to, in order for them to use tracking technologies. There were a lot of FTC fines and violations of people who were using things like the Facebook Pixel. Google had some tracking as well. And these hospitals were essentially find and found in violation for using that because it was sharing the patient's health information. And the, the you know, so now AHA has sued them and said, no, that was an overreach of what you should be doing. And this isn't what the law states. Yeah. That, that the whole, the whole pixel thing has been capturing the uh, marketing side of the house since, well, since last year. And uh, it's a big problem. Right. Like it's, it's, it's huge on, on one hand. And I just had a, by the way, I just had a discussion with our friend, uh, Matt Fisher on this, right. He's a, he's a lawyer and, and actually coming out soon will be our interview where I talked to him specifically about this pixel issue. But um, just to, to, to um, paraphrase what he said, HHS originally came out this rule because actually some hospitals were already subject to some uh, class action lawsuits because somebody had figured out that, Hey, there are some hospitals out there that were using these Google pixels and, and Facebook pixels to track patients in order to send them retargeted ads and some other things. Right. Uh, and so they sued these hospitals and say, Hey, that's a potential violation of HIPAA. And there were enough of these that happened that HHS had to step in and say, had to define what it meant. And what they were trying to do was define it so that uh, it protected the hospitals. But of course, what they uh, unfortunately did was over way overstepped and said, you basically, any use of these is bad and, and is actually a violation of, of HIPAA. But was, and now this is what the AHA and a lot of other hospital associations are taking exception to. And that's because, well, if I just watch a video about diabetes on your website and you happen to use a tracking pixel, and then later on when I go to like some other website and you show me an ad for like your diabetes um, management uh, or dietary uh, program, but you still don't know who I am, that should not constitute a violation of HIPAA, right? Like, and, but right now, the way the, the guidance is written, that is 
and I think that's what the hospitals are complaining about because a lot of their technologies that they've implemented and a lot of the good things they're trying to do with geolocations and other things to narrow down the search for your doctor by basically knowing where you are geographically. Now they're saying we have to rip all that stuff out. That's crazy. Like that's going to be really bad for patients. Yeah. So I think they're suing uh, to, in order for the HHS to change their minds. It's fair, right? Because I might be looking at diabetes and it might be about my kid or my mom or my, you know, like, it's, it, and, and you don't even know who I am. So it's such a good point. Although my favorite part of uh, the, the highlight of the lawsuit that I saw was that HHS is using this tracking pixel in some of their uh, organizations. So there, there's a bit of a, you can't do it, but we are. And, and so there, there's an irony there. And that will be interesting to see how that, I don't know if that has legal grounds, you know, are they covered the same way by HIPAA or not? So maybe that's not applicable because of the way the regulation's done. But there is an irony that uh, HHS is using the tracking pixel in some of theirs, according to the lawsuit. And, and so it's like, oh, you, you can't use it, but we are going to. So <laughs> <laughs> that the, that's the irony of government. Huh? <laughs> it is. It is. And, you know, I think there will be more and more people joining the lawsuit. Um, and I think HHS will change, um, you know, based on, I'll call it the evidence. Like it's very clear in one case, it's not identifiable. If you're just a visitor to someone's website, they don't know who you are um, unless you've self-identified. And I think that's where it, the, the rule may be modified to is that they, if they do know who you are, uh, maybe because you've logged into their portal and they put a cookie on there and now they know who you are, then in that case, you cannot send that information off to Google or to uh, Facebook or these third-party um, uh, statistics providers or analytics companies. But I think the other problem that was really a problem and and certainly something that, that Matt Fisher spoke about is if you're using this pixel though on your portal, that is a whole different story mm. because there someone has logged in and sure. you know who they are. And so what he's saying is that one is a lot more clear where you should, you should definitely not be doing it there. Um, it's one thing to do it on your public facing website and it's consumable material by anybody. But if you're behind the, the firewall, if you will, if you're, if you've logged in at that point, he was saying that you'd be, you know, I don't think anybody could argue that that's not a, a violation. Because now I know. But could who you, you are, include you that in the terms of service that says, "Hey, we're going to use a tracking pixel," so then you could say the patient consented to it, right? Potentially, you could. But the <laughs> problem is, the the problem is that it's Facebook and Google are not covered, are not did not sign a BAA, right? So even though you may have consented, I still would be in violation if I send it to somebody who's not covered by a, like a business associates agreement, right? Yeah. So that's the bigger issue is that you know Google and and Facebook are not incented to be a BAA because their pixels are used in a lot of other instances sure. that don't require any of this. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, I hope the HHS will, will listen and at least modify the guidance. Uh, and because now, yeah, there, because of the guidance, there've been a lot more uh, class action lawsuits being filed against healthcare systems that are claiming that people have, have had their HIPAA, uh, had their privacy violated uh, when in fact it, it, it isn't. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a stretch in some cases, right? Is there concern? Yes, you know, should we be thoughtful of it? But you know, I th the interesting thing is how many patients are suffering because they can't find the treatment that they need because this isn't being used. So, how do you find the balance of preserving the privacy but also providing access to the right people to be able to discover the right services? Well, I mean, I think as you just said there, there's balance, right? There's some really good things about using these tools, especially with, like I said, the geolocating of uh, patients and where they are and narrowing down their search. That's a good thing. 
Um, you know, you could argue maybe the retargeting of ads is not so great in some cases, but there are some really good use cases for those kinds of tracking pixels. It's not all about advertising, right? It's about geolocations and other things. So uh, yeah, hopefully they will uh, come to some sort of understanding to say, okay, like in these cases, makes sense. We should definitely not be using the, and in these cases, it's okay because an IP is should not be considered personal uh, uh, PHI. Yep. Hey, and thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on social media using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.